This episode of the Adventure Jogger Podcast brought to you by Blaine Johnson, Shannon Howell, Marjorie Lewis, Becca Joyner, and all of our Patreon supporters, and of course, all of our listeners as well. Our. It's just me. Well, you get it. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Patrick, it has been far too long since we've had a conversation. How are you? Yeah, yeah, it's been a couple of years. Uh, all, all is well in my world. <laughs> well, I was making a list. I was trying to think back because, you know, it's here it is. It's, it's early February, right? When we're recording this. And there's some things that are going on in the ultra running world, but there's not a whole lot of, you know, big things going down and people blazing things. And so I, I was sitting there going, OK, for guests, who haven't I talked to? in the longest time who do i need to catch up with who am i like i have got to find out what they've been up to and you were on the top of my list i'm like i have not talked to patrick probably in four years and i i just i've, I've got to see what you're up to because you know the conversations we've had in the past first of all you have hair which is a big step up big news be a wig <laughs> we don't know <laughs> the first time i talked to you i wasn't sure if you had cancer or not because you were completely bald and and i told you you need to go uh, trick-or-treating once i found out you didn't you weren't sick yeah. um to you that you need to go to a halloween party as caillou did you take my advice on that uh no but i may maybe it's still in my you know <laughs> repertoire of costumes for the future no but we, we you broke onto the scene and i remember it was probably 2016 where you run your first hundred at eastern states which is not an easy course at all and then you finished second at eastern states after you know various lessons being learned and yeah, then many. <laughs> yeah and then you, you go run this ghost train 100 and you throw down a sub 15 100 miler and it was like oh my god this is this is incredible and you had a string of of, of great races thrown together but as i'm looking through your ultra sign up patrick i noticed that there's there's a gap there uh there's a gap kind of in your ultra sign up results and it seems like you had all of this potential and and push towards these speedy 100 milers and it seems like maybe your passion has changed and moved you into another direction inside the sport and so kind of get me caught up patrick on what you've been up to the last four years since we've talked last whole bunch of nothing no <laughs> um, all right it's over everybody thanks for listening uh no hundreds yeah you're right on that um yeah so i guess we feel like we chatted with you a couple times yeah. in that uh, yeah pre-pandemic um and i guess yeah so ghost train 2016 and then i went back the following year for uh yeah, just to try to improve upon my first first go. Yeah. Um, what, what's nice with hundreds is I feel like there's always room for improvement. No Very matter true. how fast you run, it's enough hours that, yeah, there's some wiggle room right, there. Right, right. Um, and then, yeah, I think I was, I sort of shifted maybe to more, you know, uh, it's all relative, but shorter yeah. ultras. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I was doing more like 50K, 50 mile. And I, I started to do more international races after the, um, the, the I guess, 2017 Ghost Train. Yeah. Um, I was lucky to have the opportunity to, uh, yeah, race in Europe with Solomon. And so I was sort of focusing more on, uh, yeah, those, those bigger race goals, less regional races and, um, 
shift kind of my my training and my I don't know mentality toward that. Yeah. Um, and then I guess it was, then sort of the pandemic. I don't know. Then it was like then it was 2019, and right. then I I did a couple races throughout like spring and summer of 2019. Did some more local stuff in the fall, and then I was sort of gearing up for a. I guess a bigger 2020 and then everyone's 2020, uh, you know, wrenching everyone's plans there. <laughs> That's the truth. Let's go back a minute though. So you're this right. kid, right? You're from the Northeast. Where, where are you calling home now? Uh, so I'm from Needham, Mass, outside of Boston. Currently I'm in uh, Bar Harbor in Maine. So um, yeah, so you, you are, you are Northeast through and yeah, through. I'm, yes. Yeah. Have you picked up the Maine accent yet? No, no, certainly not. I don't have a Maine accent, don't have a Boston accent. Maybe, I don't know what kind of accent I have, but... <laughs> They're all like, he's not from around here because he doesn't say things yeah. like Maine. No, if you're like, be considered a Mainer, you have to like be like several generation Mainer, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, you're just a newbie. There's that, you're that skinny newbie. That's, that, that's who you are. That's how they refer to you. But you're this regional superstar, right? And you break onto the scene and you and you really turn some heads in some big races out east. And then Solomon comes a knocking. You're just little Patrick. And all of a sudden you got Solomon, one of the largest manufacturers of of ultra running gear and shoes in the world, Colin. They want you on the team. And now the kid has to grow up a little bit. And now you're racing for Solomon in Europe, this kid from a small town in Massachusetts is now racing for Solomon overseas. That had to have been a big adjustment for you. Yeah, it's definitely, a, I don't know if at the time I felt like it was, I felt like I sort of just went with the flow and was like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, looking back, I mean, I feel pretty, pretty lucky and grateful for the opportunity and I definitely, I think I did learn, you know, like along the way, like, so yeah, I guess, so my intro introduction to Solomon was in 2017 at they, at the time they were doing these Solomon young gun academies, Ooh. um, or Solomon running academy yeah. for like young guns. Um, and so I was like the U S athlete that was chosen and there was, representatives from a, a few different countries and we went to Austria and it was sort of a, a training camp and we worked alongside other you know current Solomon athletes and um, so that was sort of my exposure to the brand initially and then at the end of the year um, was when I was offered the contract and so then 2018 was sort of my first year um, sort of reorienting races around sort of Solomon's goal races and priorities and i think that was a bit of a shift for me of someone who yeah who had mainly been racing like you said regionally yeah um but you know i felt really connected i guess to the races that i was running the community that i was surrounded by and so that was a different mentality of okay like how to find purpose and you know i'm a competitive per person but i also want to find meaning and, and purpose in the races that I'm doing and pursuing. And so trying to, I guess, find that within these new races that like, you know, a year prior, I had probably never heard of or knew existed. Yeah. Yeah. And then here I am racing um, some of them. Um, so that was a bit of a shift for me. And I, I did, you know, I had some good performances like internationally, but also like, Definitely, it's a big adjustment. Um, just the the travel alone, and then uh, just the European racing style, and so I learned many uh, many hard lessons also, which I think were 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 good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. I don't know. It was definitely a yeah a big adjustment, I guess, like you said, and I think I'm still you know processing some of the things I learned through that. Yeah, let's go through some of those lessons in a minute. But first, I got to ask you, you say the Solomon Young Gun Academy. And all I can think of is is Top Gun. Were you at the Solomon <laughs> Young Gun Academy? Were you 
more Maverick or were you more Iceman? I don't know. I don't know much about Top Gun, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not, uh, not up to date on Top Gun. <laughs> well, the movie came out before you were born, so. Yeah. You know. Well, they had, I guess, a reason, you know. They did. They did. But you don't have time to see that. I, I haven't gotten into the movie theater in a that's, while. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, one more question along those lines. Uh, any beach volleyball played during the Young Gun, the Solomon Young Gun Academy? No beach volleyball, sadly. No. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Um, I was hoping that, hoping that you have a great beach volleyball story. There, there was some, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, there was some, I was going to say there was some skinny dipping that happened uh, up in the glacial lakes, which was uh, Whoa. Whoa. Quite, quite something. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can't just sneak right by that. How in the heck? Did you get thrown into a skinny dipping raid? I did not partake. I will say that, Ryan. But uh, you know, when you're going running in the mountains for a while, like it was, it was too cold for me. But some other people decided to to jump in. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it was pretty cool because you know it's in the middle of summer, but there's still snow high up in the mountains in Austria, and so you know you're running in shirts and a t-shirt, but. You know, the further you get up, all of a sudden there's snow. <laughs> yeah, and you just, and yeah, yeah, no, I'm not not one of those cold plunge kind of guys. You missed out on the greatest story ever. Like, like the next podcast you go on, you got to exaggerate a little bit and be like, oh yeah, well, so we we didn't play beach volleyball at the Solomon Young Gun Academy, but we did go right. skinny dipping up in the glaciers up in Austria. And it was fantastic. People were impressed by my muscle tone, uh, how, how shredded I was. You know, people were like, how do you get abs like that, Patrick? And I'm like, you know, what? I just I just do what I do. You know, it's like, <laughs> Michelangelo, you can't ask him how, to, how he carves. You don't ask me how I get such sweet abs or whatever. And then that'd be a great story for another podcast. Well, next time I'll I'll spin a good story. Yeah, Trail Runner Nation. If they come calling, you got to give them something a little better than I didn't partake okay. in skinny dipping at Solomon. Right? Who knew Solomon was a frat party? Nobody knew that. Were you doing keg stands too? <laughs> no, no, we were all we were all underage. So I guess drinking age is a little different there. But yeah, it was yeah. the Young Gun Academy, yeah. so it was a bunch of uh, eighteen to well, I guess eight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah beer bong you know the, the solomon beer bong <laughs> in, your, in your hydration vest um but let's talk about those lessons for a second because i think so many of us have this idea that the united states is the only place that matters when it comes to mountain running like guess what uh, guess what world catch up with us even though there's utmb and all that stuff we think we invented it we didn't um and we think that we are the bee's knees and that the way that it is done here is the way that it is done everywhere. And the levels of competition are the same. We think all of that kind of kind of fits to, to what we do here in the United States. You learned very quickly in Europe that it is not the same at all. I mean, we're both wearing his shoes with, with lugs on the bottom, but that's where the similarities pretty much stop. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few, I mean, a bunch of different learnings. I mean, so my first bit, so I did do one race in Austria as part of that camp. It was kind of funny. They, you know, we, I don't think we knew that we were doing it. And so we trained hard for a week and then we ended up entering this like local race in Austria at the end of the week. And they sort of, you know, I mean, it was like te teamwork, but also like pitted us all like, yeah. to, to race each other at the end. So that was my first, I guess, international race. Um, but that was a short one. Um, but then, yeah, the following spring was Transvolcania in the uh, Grand Canary Islands. Um, and around 50, a little under 50 miles. Um, I'm trying to think of how many elevation, maybe 10,000 or more feet of climbing yeah. or so um but yeah one just like the international travel alone um and then you get there and it's such like an incredible place that you're just so excited to to run and explore and meanwhile you should probably be resting from <laughs> you know the multiple plane flights right. and just the time adjust 
adjustment and all those things, right. and, you know, let alone the fact that you have to run 50 miles in a couple of days. Right. So I definitely was underrested going into, I would say, my first few international races just due to the fact that you're like, wow, I'm here. I may as well take advantage of some <laughs> good running. Right, right. Um, so that was one lesson for sure. Um, and then just the the style of the courses uh, coming from New England, you know, we have obviously very, you know, a lot of technicality, a lot of ruggedness with our trails, but um, the you know the duration of the climbs is so much less you know you're maybe climbing for a couple miles then you're descending and it's that sort of constant roller coaster style yeah. of terrain which you know you're constantly switching your muscles and the flow and like i feel like that suits me well in my racing style but in europe you might be climbing for you know hour two hours straight where you're just like going up <laughs> uh and then you're doing that going down and so that like I don't know. It's just a different, uh, you know, both physically and mentally, a lot different on the body, um, and it's hard to replicate that sort of style of terrain in New England. Um, so yeah, things like that also were like a big adjustment. Um, where yeah, I learned it the first couple times, and then I would try going back to New England to sort of replicate that style of training. But there's you know really nowhere where you can climb for. <laughs> that yeah. amount of time straight um yeah so that was another thing and then just the mentality of i'm someone who's like i'm gonna try to run every single step that i can meanwhile in europe there's much more at an embrace of using uh poles or or uh, wizard sticks as yeah. they call them yeah <laughs> um and so you'll just you know see these people who look effortless just like walking along meanwhile you're like you know trying to run up this mountain and these people are walking next to you and it's a little bit demoralizing <laughs> <laughs> um so that was another adjustment and yeah it's just in the places that i train it's a little it's just not like you just wouldn't train with poles just like one because they'd probably snap due to just the technicality of right. the terrain um but yeah that was another like learning experience for sure just seeing the different style of racing as well did you learn that there is no austrian word for switchbacks <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like where's the yeah. switchback and they're like we don't understand what that means. <laughs> well, I remember in the Austrian race, there actually was some switchbacks. And I remember some of the runners would just, they would, you know, they cut the switchback. So they wouldn't stay on the actual course. Like, yeah. I think it's more commonly accepted that, you know, you can take the shortest path, I guess. Um, and so you'd be like going up there, like, there was some switchbacks on a climb, but people would be using their poles and just hiking straight up the middle. Wow. <laughs> doing like half the distance, but you know, twice the elevation or twice the steepness. Um, so that was kind of funny. <laughs> there had to have been a moment when you were racing, whether it was the race in Austria or, or the Canary Islands as well, where you were like, I am not in Massachusetts anymore no yeah <laughs> you quickly yeah no the views are quite different <laughs> yeah no uh gray city skylines <laughs> yeah and, and, and the green tunnel you don't really have that because i know a lot of places where you're at you're you're running and you're not above the tree line and so you're kind of robbed of all these views because there's just trees everywhere it's like oh there's is there is there something down there i don't know because it's just I like bunch of trees. trees yeah the tree, trees are nice but when you run above the tree line it's a little different game yes for sure and then yeah the altitude factor i mean you know i'm at essentially sea level the ocean is uh a minute from my door so yeah, yeah i'm at sea level and you know some of these races you're seven eight thousand nine thousand you know, plus feet up. So that was also an adjustment for the uh, lungs. Was it frustrating? But. I would think it would be because here you were. I mean, 
this we're, we're talking 2016 folks and so now somebody runs a, a sub 15 more people have run sub 1500 milers than they have in 2016 i mean all of a sudden you're running a, a 1450 and you're this, this this kid from massachusetts it made headlines you're like Whoa, oh my god who is this kid right it's more people have done it since then you know, I, I've talked to a string of these college cross country runners that are just like, ah, I'm not even going to try the marathon. I'm going to go run, yeah. you know, uh, go run it's something fast. <laughs> right, exactly. It's it's crazy that now the cool thing to do for cro- college cross country runners is to go try running an ultra and setting world <laughs> records on their first try, which is crazy. But that was not the case in 2016. You've, you saw a lot of success. But then you go to Europe and it ain't the same way. That had to be humbling, and it also had to be a little frustrating for you. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I was just grateful for the opportunity. I didn't feel too, I, I would say my first race, I was pretty frustrated just because I, I got pretty sick during it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, this was not, you know, uh, representative of how, like, you know, my my general racing is, yeah. I guess, or yeah. how I, how I expect to do. And then I had some other, some good races, um, that, you know, I, I felt like I was in the mix. Um, you know, I was racing, you know, for, for the podium or, um, yeah. And those like they're, yeah, I felt like pretty satisfied with, mm-hmm. um, given like my circumstances, but I do think I, you know, had to realize, okay, this is, I don't know, just accept where I was at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I'd say the other thing was like, I felt like I made this big jump from just racing locally to then racing internationally. And I skipped the whole sort of national scene <laughs> of races, <laughs> right? like, I didn't end up really going out west and doing a bunch of races. I just went straight to Europe, and I feel like maybe that would have been a better trajectory is to race some, you know, higher level competition, you know, in the States before going to Europe. Um, The one race that I had been planning to do in 2018 was the North Face uh, San Francisco and the Marin Headlands, Mm -hmm. and then... um, that was canceled due to wildfires that year. Um, and yeah, so I think that would have maybe, I think my, I think maybe I jumped, (laughs) I I took this big leap and missed some stuff in the middle. Um, and I think looking back, you know, maybe a slower, slower build or slower, um, trajectory could have, could have been a little more helpful. Maybe, uh, yeah, because you look at guys. But, like, you know, yeah, I, <laughs> eventually, you know, eventually you learn whether it's the hard way or the easy way. <laughs> I think you're right because you look at like Walmsley had to live in France for a year or a year plus to get fast enough to win UTMB and to be able to run that race correctly and to adjust to that racing style right Mm -hmm. and here you are you're running the ghost train 100 and that's not to slam anybody putting on a race but it wasn't western states right like you hadn't you hadn't had a chance to go do those bigger national races you were doing that you were you were doing that local stuff really fast and getting solomon's attention when the fact when solomon sends you to austria I mean, what a what a blessing that was, and how awesome it is that your that your two legs got you essentially to Austria, and to be able to hang out with with incredible young runners from all over the world, and and train that way. But still, it wasn't. You're right. You didn't have a big national success in the U.S. And the next thing you know, now you're racing in Europe against Europe's finest, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess there is definitely, I mean, there, yeah, maybe a little bit of like imposter syndrome too of like, okay, I don't know if I'm, right. <laughs> you know, this is totally <laughs> where I'm at, but uh, yeah, I mean, I also though, I, I do, I say that, but also I do feel like I can recognize like the, my potential both like mm-hmm. then and now, like I do feel like, you know, even though these some goals or some performances might be like a stretch. It's like, okay, you know, I, I do know that I have the capability to get to that point. Um, and sometimes throwing yourself in these things that are 
you know, maybe you're not ready for or more challenging than, uh, yeah, than what you're, you've currently been doing. Sometimes that can be good sort of motivation and inspiration to, to kind of level up to that point. Um, you know, both with, you know, seeing the athletes around you, seeing, um, yeah, just what else is out there. I think that can, you can bring that sort of motivation back to your just training. Um, so I definitely felt some of that. Was there a moment where you were like, I got to make sure that they didn't mean Patrick Reagan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Hey, Solomon, come here real quick. Hey, I'm Patrick Karen. Patrick Reagan is the guy. I think the guy you wanted for this. And like, no, 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 it's you. We want you to be in the, in the young guns Academy. But I but tell you what, you probably learned some things. I bet you that was a school in itself about how to race mm-hmm. yeah i mean i like at the academy the two coaches at the time were eden nielsen and remy bonet who like remy bonet was just sort of breaking onto the scene at that time in 2017 and you know if anyone is familiar with him in his last season winning the golden trail series winning like pretty much all of the major european sub ultra races um but they were the two coaches for us at the Mm -hmm. time and so we sort of saw how they approached like the the life of a professional athlete um and so it was more than just like the training and the racing but it was also i guess exposure to the lifestyle of you know a professional um which I thought was interesting and you know, all that comes with that from both, yeah, the training racing, but also like relationships with sponsors and, and marketing and, you know, storytelling and just how you, I guess, present your yourself to the world. Yeah. Um, so that was also like, yeah, there was a lot of lessons in that as well because, you know, I think the life, sponsorships and you know being a professional athlete is more than just like your results um you know it's not just they don't just select i mean it is a selection of the fastest people but not every fast person gets a sponsorship i guess (laughs) Hmm. um so there is yeah there's some added uh aspects to it (laughs) what was some of the lessons you learned like like from these coaches what were some of the things that you were like oh I I didn't think to approach things this way. I've been wrong about blank this whole time. Um, I don't know if there was any glaring lessons. I do think one of the things I really appreciate about the Solomon team um, is that they really embody like a fun, playful approach to their you know passion of running like it is not even though this is like their career their profession it is not you know all business super serious which is interesting Um, because you would think that like if you were to ask me like who is the outdoor brand that does not mess around like (laughs) like i am i'm picturing like you go to Young Gun Academy and they're like, you will sit over there and you will not talk and, and lights go out at eight o'clock and we will wake up every morning to run 25 kilometers. We are going to run some fast. And there's be no laughing. Like you're telling jokes with somebody like, listen, American, we see Solomon. We do not tell jokes. Trail running is not a joke. We are going to run as fast as we can and we are going to love every second of it. That's like, I was, I was imagining that. And you're telling me that they're just the laid back fun guys. I would never would have guessed in a million years that the Solomon team was the laid back fun guys. I'm betting it's the true. right. I'm betting the the Hulk, for me, the Hokas are the fun guys, right? Because they're the yeah. ones that are like, oh, let's make some funny commercials. Nike, <laughs> Nike's Nike guys are all the douchebags that are high all the time. And then and then <laughs> Ultras are the weirdos that are talking about toe boxes. That are high half Rather. of the time, right? Right, like, like so, so I, I kind of, you kind of have an idea of who these brands are, and I never <laughs> would have got that Solomon's the fun brand. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they, I mean, I think that is like really important because it sort of makes running more sustainable. Like you're yeah. going to 
be in it for the long haul if you're having fun and you're enjoying yourself and you're not taking yourself too seriously. Like I think it was important to learn that early on because I think easily like it can become this all-consuming thing that you know you're just I don't know it can it can I think the reminder of like oh I'm doing this not just because I want to race or I want to make a living but I'm doing this because it's wicked fun and you know let's let's keep it that way (laughs) um yeah I think that was like probably the biggest lesson that I took forward yeah big lesson that I learned too Honestly, I never would have, if you would have had me like describe the companies, I would have described them completely wrong. I would not have guessed Salman to be the yeah, no, a bunch of bunch of real goofy, awesome people. So who would have thought? I, why would Killian leave that to start his own shoe? I have no idea. They were, maybe they were having too much fun and he wanted to get serious. <laughs> maybe. Was there a moment where you saw? the shorter distances and shorter being relative right because for a minute there you were looking like you were going to be the next hundred mile speedster with what you were what you were throwing down and it did seem like especially recently you've pivoted to shorter distances all things being relative again was there a moment for you when you were like maybe my god i can run this distance and not be destroyed for a week and, and and run it harder did what what made you fall in love yeah, with the I shorter distances the combination of racing more competitive races you're you know you have to i i when i first started racing ultras i would just do one a weekend practically yeah. <laughs> um like and there was no yeah there was none of this periodization to my training or rest and recovery it was just like race all the time and you know it was it worked because there wasn't the same level of competition i I could sort of treat them as training runs um i was also you know i think just with like the excitement uh of getting into the scene like that's uh, i feel like a lot of people you just go crazy with racing right, right. away yeah especially when you see success <laughs> awesome. right yeah you're like oh um, man i'm awesome i'm a god yeah. um but you know you, you realize soon enough that that's maybe not like the best long-term approach if you want to be doing mm-hmm. this for the next you know couple of decades or longer and um yeah primarily that's my my goal is to be a you know lifelong runner i want to be doing this uh yeah 60 years from now um and so i think realizing i had to be more strategic in the races and especially with the level of competition um yeah put more singular focus on an event as opposed to it was just like one of you know 50 events that i was racing right um and so sort of planning my calendar around that and so i think that was yeah where they're why i sort of oriented a little bit more towards shorter distances because i could still keep some level of frequency of racing um you know of course there's still people that run bunches of hundreds or two hundreds like all the time yeah um, right but I was like, okay and to be honest like you know 100 miles like just even though i felt like i did pretty well at the you know the three that i've done um it's still like a very intimidating distance um to me um and you you know i think when you first run them you have some level of just uh stupidity you know, not knowing, <laughs> yeah not knowing what you're getting into um and after you do it i mean like they went really well for me and i you know there well the first one there is a little more suffering than i would have liked but the the next two like you know they went so smoothly um but still like you're like i don't know it's a, it's yeah it's still an intimidating distance like i know uh, right if, if for you to I say this you're, speed, you're, you know, it says 100 yeah. miles isn't that far but it's still far <laughs> right and you're a person who's saying this that your pr in the 100 mile distance is 13 hours and 50 minutes I mean that for so for someone like that to say like this 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 ain't fun, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's, it's certainly fun, but I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a long way to go. Yeah. Um, and I think also the, the early success, I mean, you feel like you also have to continually approve upon that. And when like, you know, running third, you know, I'm someone who is like, like I am both like, yeah, like I, I compete with myself, you know, more yeah. than anyone else. And it's like, okay, I got to now top this, you know, performance of 13 hours. And, um, yeah, that's all. That's also intimidating. Right. Right. Because you're at 13 hours, 13 hours and 50 minutes. You're like, okay, if I run this again, I better get 1330. And then all of a sudden, at some point, there's a point of no return, right? And you're just like, there's no possible way I can run this 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 race in 12 and a half hours or or whatever, because you started out with so much success. And you think about taking an hour, an hour plus off of one year's time to the next. Even that's a little intimidating. Like, I don't know if I want to do this again, because I don't know if I can take an hour and a half off my time anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of that. And yeah, and then also I like the that race, you know, I well Eastern States was sort of just it lined up because I honestly I like I really wanted to run a hundred that summer and I entered a bunch of wait lists and uh I just happened that was like the one that I got into. There was yeah. no real plan of like I want to do Eastern States, but Ghost Train was like a little bit more like, okay, this is a race that's a really you know, a special race for the New England community. Mm. It's well loved and it's where a lot of the New England community gathers every October. And so it's this sort of family reunion in the woods. And so I think I had a real like personal connection to yeah. it. Um and so that's why I went back, you know, the following year. And I also went back the year after that and did uh, 45 miles. They have, you know, it's it's 15 mile increments. So yeah. you can sort of run however, however many you want. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I think that's part of it too, of like, I still would like to run another hundred and, you know, hopefully many more hundreds, but figuring out one that I feel connected to. Um, and yeah, one that, yeah, that I want to like dedicate myself to. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that. And, you know, one that I'm intrigued to run in the hopefully near future is Vermont 100. Yeah. Um, which at the time that I was, you know, doing more hundreds, I hadn't really been exposed to. Um, but in the past couple of years, I've, you know, learned a lot more about it, went and volunteered, you know, went pretty much every aid station on the course to, um, you know, got to see the whole, whole, whole race unfold. Um, and that really like, you know, I think before having volunteered there, I was like, Oh, I don't know. Vermont 100 sounds cool, but yeah. I didn't feel that connected. Then like being there for the whole weekend, um, see, seeing the uniqueness and the spirit that the race embodies, like I was immediately like, okay, I've got to do this. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's something I've learned, I guess, about myself of just that I, I feel like it's important for me to have that connection to, to a race. Well, and you know, what's interesting too, Patrick, is you think about how many people have been in your shoes, right? How many people have these big blazing debuts and then they blow up, right? Mm -hmm. And all, all eyes are on them because like, ooh, look at this young kid running 1350. And then you have a string of bad races. You try to push yourself farther and farther and harder and harder. And the next thing you know, you get burned out because you're like, I blew up. I blew up. on a, And I say world stage, 99% of people don't give a shit. It's the 1%, the rabid 1% of ultra runners that are like ultra running magazine and I'm subscribing to this person on, on Instagram and all that stuff. And all the attention just, just gets heaped on them. Mm -hmm. And then they, they don't perform up to what the 1% um, of, of people that know what's going on think they should. They blow up, they fall out of love with the sport, you never hear from them again. You miss all that, right? You have these... This, this spectacular final, the last 100 you ran, I mean, 1350. I mean, people just don't do that. I mean, that's not, that's not a, that's not a time that, 
many people can claim, right? That's not that's not an average time. No, now it's more common for sure. Well, but, it certainly uh, wasn't when you did it, and it's certainly yeah. not, I wouldn't call it common now. You know, there's not a yeah. whole lot. Like if you were to say, "Hey, we're having a reunion of all the people that have run sub 14 hour 100s." you're not filling the conference center at the local Holiday Inn with people, right? <laughs> it's like a standing room only. Like, oh, we ran out of chairs. We ran out of chairs. Everyone's going to have to stand for this. But, but you missed out on that. And so the eyes were on you for a minute, and then all of a sudden you're in Europe with, with Solomon. You're hanging out with the Solomon boys, laughing, giggling, and skinny dipping. And then you get to do some races in Europe, and you get to kind of dive under the radar a little bit because all of a sudden you're not just doing races and blowing up here in the states you're learning lessons in europe and then you find these shorter distances and it almost was a way for you a real roundabout way to protect yourself from burnout and the disappointment of not being able to to keep up with expectations Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think there's, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if I thought of it that way, but um, yeah, I mean. I'm getting good at this therapy thing, Patrick. I'm going to start charging people. Great. <laughs> I have a weekly therapy with. <laughs> of our weekly <laughs> chats. Not all the ones are going to be recorded, though. I promise we'll have some. <laughs> some just between you and me, I won't record all of these for episodes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the the pandemic was like a reset for many of us. And yeah. Like for me, you know, that like going into 2020, I sort of had bigger sort of race plans or goals. Um, and then all of that was on hold and for, you know, a good year plus. And so then on in the return to, you know, racing afterwards, I think, I think many of us sort of had like I don't know before we just went through the motions yeah. sort of we're like, yeah. oh do this and then I feel like a lot of people from what I've heard and talked to like afterwards there was a little bit more intentionality behind um racing and um for me like a lot of that turned into racing local um doing more volunteering um yeah just like I don't know that that sort of shifted a bit and that doesn't mean that I'm not still like chasing the sort of competitive goals um but i think it was a more i don't know like trying to round out what what running meant to me i guess or yeah there's <laughs> a nice gift to have that and to have the like what does running mean to me you can get wrapped up especially in all that success you had early on like oh i'm so good i i'm patrick who wins things right but you got well, to it's do- weird because I feel like people still like, I don't know, you know, like ghost train, you know, running 13, 50, like everyone, I'm like, that, that was a while ago, you know, <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It's an interesting expe- like experience when your people often talk about like your, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it's still me, but like a past version of me. Um, and you know, I, I hope, I don't know. It's a tricky thing where I'm like, okay, yes, I did those things and I still will hopefully go on to do more cool things race wise, but also like, you know, being recognized beyond just your, your race results. Right. um, You don't want to just be the guy who ran 1350 at ghost train. You know, it's like (laughs) the people that whisper, (laughs) you know, show up to a race when I'm 70. Oh, back in (laughs) 17. (laughs) Um, I mean, I sir, I think we all do that with some runners. Like I certainly, I don't know, see people at races and Oh, so-and-so is the guy who did that then. But, um, you know, I try to get away from that a little bit because we're a lot more than that and feel like, yeah, I don't know, learning the other sides of people. I mean, even just like racing in general, we're so like overly focused on racing where, um, you know, I, I like always the, when you see like a running friend, I feel like the first question you ask is like, Oh, what are you training for? Right. Right. <laughs> what are you racing? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I've been trying to shift that to be like, I don't know, not, you know, cause it's, I don't know, just the amount of focus on racing is sometimes maybe not, uh, 
Well, and honestly, honestly, if you want to put someone to sleep, talk about running. And even with your running buddies, like there's so many levels of of friendships and skills. And it's like, could we talk about something other than running on this long run? Yeah. <laughs> or what like what else gets you going? And you're right, you're more than just the kid that ran 1350. Feels like you were 12 years old when you ran that. I mean, you're not even that old now. And yeah, but, but still, yeah, exactly. And they, they made a show out of you. They made a cartoon about <laughs> you in Canada. It's the craziest thing ever. Um, but no, you're you're right. There's more to you than that. And, and and again, this is the free therapy. You were shielded from that and you were allowed to experience that because the pressure disappeared the second you hopped on that plane to Austria and 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 just dipped out for a couple of years. All the expectations. There's no like you are not the centerfold for Ultra Runner magazine's January edition with your sweet abs. You're not, because you're you're gone, right? And you and you're and you're able to define your why it gave you the time to define your why to figure out like what what makes you passionate about these certain races what type of races draw you to them and what else is it about you that you enjoy because you are more than just patrick the runner so in the spirit of that patrick we're gonna take a little we're gonna gonna go off to the side here what is the thing other than running that occupies most of your time. <laughs> Sleeping. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like it is like, you know, I think running is like my North star. Most things yeah. revolve around running or movement, but not, you know, yeah, more than just like the, I guess, racing or the, like, you know, my own personal athletic goals, um, realizing that, you know, I think sharing my love for running has become something I've like, uh, I guess, like explored ways to do that. And so um, are you going to schools and like saying, Hey kids, stay off of drugs and let's go run. Be like me. (laughs) Hey, I mean, uh, could work. (laughs) Um, but, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, well, I did like, yeah, I did some coaching, like, uh, and you know, I, I coached like my, my, the, well, uh, in Needham, like I coached like the middle school team. Um, and that's where like my first introduction to the more the competitive side of the sport was like, was cross country middle school. You coach um, middle so, school cross country. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. And we were, you know, playing fishy, fishy across my ocean and all sorts of, I don't know, but I think like helping foster that love and relationship to running early on with people um was pretty rewarding and fun it was a little i only did that for a season just because like the the time commitment is like you know it's there's not a lot of flexibility to it it's every (laughs) every afternoon after school week and meets and all that it's like the bad news bears where you got some trouble and they told you like listen you can go to jail or you can teach this ragtag group (laughs) of of middle school kids how to run and you're like i'll teach them (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that that's like one and then like getting more into race directing um because i think that like in, you know both through race directing you're you know introducing more people to the sport of running um and also yeah it's something different to make you know i don't know 500 people have an awesome day than just like have an awesome day yourself um, that's really that pretty cool pretty good to like share that with you know all the hundreds of people that run a race um and so I found that, you know, I've gotten more and more into that in the last couple of years just through um, a couple of the running clubs that I'm involved with. Um, and I really, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy that. And I think I also can, through my own experiences racing, you know, hundreds of races over the last several years can like bring a lot of that to how I put together a race. Um, and that's like a fun, I don't know, a fun game to like, race direct in a way yeah um yeah <laughs> it's like what, what what do you think you bring to the table differently having that experience and having done the things you've done how does that inform you to create a unique experience for your your racers that's not up for your your races um i don't know if it's my own personal experience but what, i guess what i've seen from you know 
going and attending hundreds of races throughout the years, kind of adding all of the things I like from those events into, you know, my own. Um, But also just through all the runs I've shared with other people, um, I guess like seeing all of the different perspectives and relationships people have with running, how, you know, for me, it was this more competitive or is this more competitive like yeah like i'm i'm if i'm running a race i intend to try to win that race right <laughs> um but for the majority of people that's has is not at all what it's about um so recognizing that and designing races with that you know in mind um and trying also i think like yeah one of my big focuses is just in that introduction you know, to trail running, I think realizing the different barriers that stand in the way for people with trail running, um, and trying to help remove some of those Mm -hmm. barriers. Um, and so like one of the, uh, groups that I direct, I currently direct two races for the trail animals running club. Um, we're really all about trying to create a really inclusive, community and racing environments through you know both even even just like the entry fee super low cost entry fees picking like locations that are maybe more accessible you know travel wise and um you know also terrain style and um and collaboration with other running organizations and, and clubs um so that that's rewarding to i guess yeah, explore the different ways to make trail running, you know, cause it was accessible to me, but right. I know that it's not accessible to, to many people. And I, you know, I've always said when people are like, Oh, you know, you're, you're talking about trail running with some non runner or maybe a road runner and they think you're crazy half the time where you're right. like oh you ran a hundred miles that's in, and like it's more approachable than i think meets the eye and so helping i guess show people that you know ultra running and trail running can be approachable um is fun <laughs> i do want to point out real quick <clears throat> that um you did at some point say i believe I'm, I'm more than just a runner and more than just running and then I gave you the opportunity to talk about something other than running. running. And you took the opportunity to talk about running for another five minutes. I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. I think I, I've realized that I think, I yeah, I mean, that is much of my life is is running. And I, I'm generally, uh, generally okay with that, I think. It's okay. As long as I... Uh, realize that it's more than just the competitive side. No, I hear you. But I sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to find other hobbies. I've got to <laughs> find other, <laughs> you know, got to find other friends outside of running. <laughs> but, well, yeah. if it works and, and, you, and you love it, did you have to, you know, adjust your expectations for the races? Like, were, were, were you, did you have an idea? Like, listen, we're not giving out awards to anybody that can't rub, run sub-15. Buckles are only for sub 15. People are like, Patrick, nobody but you can do that. There's like three people here that can do. No, no, no. I'm slowing down. I ran 1350. We're only giving out buckles for 15 and under. And they had to remind you to slow it down a little bit. (laughs) Uh, No, no. In fact, most of Tark Race's trail and was running club were like, we're super like no frills. Yeah. And we're like, you know, no, a lot of them we don't even give awards. Even, you know, I mean, these are many of the races that I, you know, my first ultra was a Tark race and many of my ultras have been Tark races and no matter how fast you run, you might still not get an award. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I kind of like that, that that's not the focus of the event. Um, Helps keep the cost down too. If there's no expectation for fantastic awards, then you don't have to charge $200 for a 50K. Totally. Low expectations, then everyone's having a great time. Right, (laughs) exactly. Race directing, though, forces you to experience the race from all sides, from all parts of the pack, right? You're a person who has spent predominantly most of your time in trail running in the front of the pack, winning things, um, setting course records. What has the middle and the back of the pack runners taught you about running? Hmm. <laughs> um, you think about that one. 
Uh, I get one good question in an episode where the person goes, ooh, I got to think about that ooh. one. Yeah. Uh, this is a perfect spot to insert a commercial right here. Uh, yeah, commercial break. <laughs> um, no, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> let me let me uh consult uh consult a friend here for the answer yep. now <laughs> spotify should we um, go to another commercial break <laughs> yeah i mean i think like for i don't know i think like everyone's relationship to running is gonna be different but it's just as important and just as meaningful um like the fact that someone isn't either competing or trying right. to improve like not everything's about this like perpetual improvement yeah some people just are out there to you know have fun or just like do something you know crazy or you know it's not always i don't know i think the majority of people that come to races like they're not in it for that i don't know that improvement or the, yeah. that competitive aspect and so designing races around sort of nurturing and cultivating that community like i really i love when races feel like they're just like a family reunion of sorts mm -hmm. um and yeah you know many often a lot of new england races like are are looped courses like for you know these like one of the 50 mile races that i direct it's a 10 mile loop and so regardless of you know if you're super fast, you're, you know, you're eventually going to lap people, but it's fun to like share that, share those miles together. Um, and I don't know, you're all in it together. Like it yeah. is this, there's, there, there's this camaraderie that exists like within trail and ultra running that you might not find in, you know, road running, for example, in the same way. Um, and so helping, yeah, I don't know. I, I that's that's what drew me, I think, to ultra running, and so helping show that to more people. Um, yeah, and I think another lesson, and just about you know middle back of the pack runners, is like that is equally as hard as running, you know, a thirteen hour hundred, like mm -hmm. if not more hard. Um, you know, you know some you know some of these people who are out on their feet for 30 plus hours for a hundred or more like that is incredibly impressive um yeah like <laughs> I, i've certainly learned that that you know people are really i don't know yeah just the, the just the level i've been impressed by people um you it's really cool to see just you know, they always say like ordinary people doing extraordinary things, but that's a lot of what ultra running is. And, you know, you just see these people who are like, you would not maybe expect, uh, I don't know, like anyone, I don't know, anyone can be an ultra runner yeah. <laughs> anyways. Yeah. Uh, you just pull someone off the streets. <laughs> you could be an ultra runner. <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's really, yeah, been impressive for me too. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you all grown up, directing races. You know, you're back from from Europe. You know, you got a full head of hair on you right now. You're going to run the Vermont 100 in one of these days. Is that going to be your goal for 2024 is to do Vermont? Or are you just going to kind of take it? The lottery it? already happened. Oh, and you're I did right. Not enter, oh. But, uh, maybe I'll hop on the wait list. But, um, yeah, I'm... I'm I've got Boston Marathon in April, so that's uh, that's my one road road uh, yeah. <laughs> thing. But I've been doing this will be my ninth consecutive Boston, so I've sort of got the streak going, um, and that's always a fun one. And I, uh, yeah, la last year I had like my my best performance at Boston, and so that's been a fun goal to continually improve upon. And then after that. Um, probably i don't know I, I enjoy fkts uh there's a lot of you know fkt culture here in new england um and i love that the, i like the flexibility of being able to go out and race on whatever day or time you want yeah um that's super fun and it also like helps introduce me to new routes around uh 
around the region that I wouldn't otherwise go to. Um, so there's a few in the White Mountains, a few in Maine that I'd like to give my uh, give a shot. Uh, so we'll see. That that should probably fill up a, a lot of my summer, and then maybe in the fall we'll, you know, I could see myself maybe doing a hundred miler in the fall I'm not sure what yet but <laughs> we'll see by the <laughs> way sort of build into it you kind of glanced over what was your best performance at boston last year what was the time uh, i ran 227 at boston not bad how fast um, do you have how fast do you have to run to get your own water bottle and your own water bottle guy uh, a lot faster. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, like low. I mean, it depends. Like, there's like they have the international field, and then they have like. But if you're like an American trying to make the elite field, you've got to probably be under, definitely under the OTQ, which is like two eighteen. Um, so quite quite a bit faster but you know good goal good goal for the next couple of years work my way down there <laughs> i have my goal for you someday is to get your own water guy your own water bottle my own guy. water guy yeah that's, well at a trail race you can have that all the time that's true <laughs> that's very true that's very true patrick this has been so great catching up with you thank you for for killing some time with me on the adventure jogger yeah yeah this has been a pleasure <laughs> wow.